Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to us this morning and help us to always obey your law forever and ever. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we continue our series in the book of 1 Samuel. And for those who may be struggling to remember where 1 Samuel fits into church history, into Israelite history, uh, well, firstly, of course, the Bible opens with Uh, The creation of the world, you've got Adam and Eve. From Adam and Eve, you get Abraham. From Abraham, you get the 12 tribes of Israel as his great-grandchildren. And then they end up in Egypt. Uh, In Egypt, they're enslaved. Then the Lord brings them out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses, then into the Promised Land under Joshua. And then while they're living in the Promised Land, God appoints them a number of judges who uh, rule over them. And then in 1 Samuel, we see the transition from the last judge of Samuel to having a king who rules over them. And so that is King Saul. And King Saul turns out, as we've seen in 1 Samuel, uh, again and again to be someone who is not reliable, who is not following God's ways as he should. And so God anoints another man to be king over Israel, and that is David. But David is living at the same time as Saul, and Saul is not happy about David, and he has been trying to kill David. And so David is now in this dilemma that we see before us in 1 Samuel chapter 29. Why is David in a dilemma? Well, for his own safety, he has had to leave the land of Israel and live amongst the Philistines. He has been living with the enemy. That's who the Philistines are. You've got Israel, and then on the coast, you've got the Philistines. And the the persecution that David has been experiencing from Saul, the attacks from Saul have forced him to go for his own safety and live amongst the Philistines. And while he's been living there, what has David done? Well, he's tried to live as peacefully with the enemy as possible. He's befriended one of the Philistine kings, Achish, and Achish has been friendly towards him. And we see that in chapter 27, verse 8 and following, uh, this experience of David amongst the Philistines. Turn back with me uh, two chapters earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 27. 1 Samuel chapter 27, we read in verse 8, Now David and his men went up and raided the Gershorites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. From ancient times these people had lived in the land extending to Shur and Egypt. Whenever David attacked an area... He did not leave a man or woman alive, but took sheep and cattle, donkeys and camels and clothes. Then he returned to Achish. So he's living in the Philistine territory uh, with Achish, and he's going raiding these different tribal groups. And when we read in verse, t- and we read his response to Achish when uh, Achish finds out that he's been raiding peoples, uh, we read in verse ten when Achish asked, "Where did you go raiding today?" David would say, "Against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of Jeremiah, or against the Negev of the Kenites." He did not leave a man or woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought they might inform on us and say, this is what David did. And such was his practice as long as he lived in Philistine territory. Achish trusted David and said to himself, he has become so odious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant forever. What's David trying to do here? Well, he's trying to be the best double agent that he can possibly be. He's trying to live amongst the Philistines and pretend that he is against Israel. But what's he doing? He's actually going and fighting the enemies of Israel, other enemies that are in the area, as they are on the borders of Israel. And he is defeating those, but he's giving the impression to Achish that he's actually fighting against the Israelites. So Achish thinks he's against Israel, but David is also, uh, to those Israelites who are in the know, he's protecting Israel from the different raiding parties. And now he's in a real dilemma. He's been this double agent for a year, and now he's in a real dilemma. What is the dilemma? 
Well, the Philistines have declared war against Israel and they're marching out to fight against Israel. And David is forced to march with them against Israel. And we read that in chapter 28, uh, chapter 28, verse 1. So a chapter before what we just read before, uh, chapter 28, it says, In those days the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. Akish said to David, You must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. David said, Then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. Akish replied, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. This is the situation that was set up a couple of weeks ago when we looked at this together. And then we've had this interval with chapter 28 where Saul consults the witch of Endor. Uh, but basically, this is a problem that has been boiling under the surface. The Philistines are fighting the Israelites. David has represented that he is against Israel and he is a, a fierce warrior that Akish really likes. And so, of course, you'll come with me and you'll be my bodyguard and protect me in this war against the Philistines. And so we see in chapter 29, verse 1, uh, the, the, the boiling of this matter that is coming before to the forefront. Uh, chapter 29, verse 1, it says, The Philistines gathered all their forces at Aphek, and Israel camped by the spring in Jezreel. As the Philistine rulers marched with their units of hundreds and thousands, David and his men were marching at the rear with Akish. Double agent David is in a real trouble. He is going to have to show whether he's with the Philistines or he's with Israel. He's in a snare. He's in a trap. He's like a bird, trapped. And whichever way he goes, he will be killed. Whatever option is before him, it's likely that he will end up dead. If David abandons Akish, the Philistine ruler, and goes home to a Philistine town, if he just suddenly leaves the battle, Akish will not be happy. And Akish could put him to death for treason, for leaving him. If David abandons Akish and goes to the Israelite town, he moves back to Judah, what might happen? Well, he'll be killed by Saul, king of the Israelites. He's not happy with David. And if he finds out that David has, has left the Philistines and has come and is living in Israel, then he will be put to death. Now, if he goes into battle, if he doesn't abandon the battle, but he goes into battle and he fights against the Philistines, what could happen? Well, the Israelites could kill him. Sorry, if he fights against the Philistines, then the, the Philistines could kill him. If he suddenly turns in the battle and fights against the Philistines, well, then the Philistines will, could put him to death as he is fighting there. But if in the battle of the war, he starts to fight against the Israelites, what could happen? If he marches with the Philistines and fights against the Israelites, the Israelites might kill him. So he's in a real dilemma here. His true colours are going to be shown. And he cannot escape death. If he abandons the battle, he will die wherever he goes. If he goes into the battle, he will die whichever way he fights. Unless a way, is out, a way out is provided by God, he cannot escape death. But thankfully, God does provide a way out. All options look like they'll end in death. But then God provides at the last minute a way out. And what is that? Well, it's that the Philistine rulers object to David's presence. And we see that in verse 3. Verse 3 of chapter 29. The commanders of the Philistines asked, What about these Hebrews? Akish replied, Is this not David, who was an officer of Saul, king of Israel? He has already been with me for over a year. And from the day he left Saul until now, I found no fault in him. So Akish says, I can vouch for this guy. But what do we read in verse 4? But the Philistine commanders were angry with him and said, Send the man back that he may return to the place you assigned him. He must not go with us into battle, or he will turn against us during the fighting. 
How better could he regain his master's favour than by taking the heads of our own men? They're worried that he might turn on them in battle. And isn't this the David they sang about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. A way out is provided for David. The Philistine rulers tell Achish, send the guy home. And so David is able to leave with the favour of Achish. Achish isn't going to come after him thinking he has been treasonous by abandoning the battle. No, in fact, Achish is sending him away with his blessing. And we see that in verse 6. So Achish called David and said to him, As surely as the Lord lives, you have been reliable, and I would be pleased to have you serve with me in the army. From the day you came to me until now, I found no fault in you, but the rulers don't approve of you. Turn back and go in peace. Go with my blessing. Do nothing to displease the Philistine rulers. So David is able to go out of the battle with the blessing of the Philistines, but we understand that he also is able to then have the blessing of the Israelites down the track as well. He has not ever had to fight against the Israelites. He is not forced to fight against the Israelites that day, and that means he will not have to fight against the Israelites in the future in ascending the throne. He will not get the throne as a traitor, who was previously a traitor to Israel, who fought against Saul. No, he will be able to ascend to the throne as God desires, without having fought against Israel that day. And what else is the result of this? This deliverance that comes, well, God receives the glory, not David. Why? Because David did nothing. It was totally out of his control. It was God who moved the hearts of the Philistine kings so that David would be sent away with the blessing of Achish. That proverb in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1 is proved true. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a watercourse wherever he pleases. God gets the glory for the deliverance for David from the dilemma that he is in. And this is a common thing in the scriptures, in the Bible. God's people are often trapped, whichever way they go. And then what happens? God saves. Whichever way they go, they fear death or ongoing pain and persecution, but then God steps in and saves. What's a good example from another part of scripture? Well, it's the Israelites at the Red Sea. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, the Egyptians pursued them and they were trapped at the Red Sea like birds, like trapped birds. If the Israelites turned back and went back to Egypt, what would happen? Well, the Egyptians would destroy them or at least enslave them and murder their children, which is what they've been doing. Their decree had come through that they were to murder all their sons. They were to be thrown into the Nile. And that's what faced them if they turned back to Egypt. And if they stayed there... What would happen? Well, the Egyptians would catch up to them and destroy them, or they'd start to destroy one another. We see them there at the Red Sea, they start to turn on Moses. And so there's no way out for them, unless God provides a way out. And he does. At the last minute, as the Egyptians are coming towards them, what happens? God provides a path through the Red Sea. And they're able to pass through on dry ground. And what is the result of that? Well, there's joyous salvation for the people and God gets the glory. You read in Exodus 15, they sing that song of praise to the Lord for his deliverance, that he has hurled the horse and rider into the depths of the sea. What's another example in the scriptures? Well, Esther is a good example, the book of Esther. One of my favourite passages of scripture to read, books of scripture. It's one of those books that you can't just read a chapter, you feel yourself you want to read and read and read until you get to the end and find out what happens. What happens in the book of Esther? Well, Haman, 
the Agagite is wanting to kill all the Jews. And if Esther, she's queen, if she identifies herself as a Jew, what will happen? Well, Esther will be killed by Haman. Is the consequence of the decree that's been sent out. But if she hides her Jewish identity, what will happen? Well, she'll be rejected by the Israelite community for not helping. If there's any community left, they will not want to identify with Esther. And so what happens? At the last minute, God provides a way out. He provides a way out. He moves the heart of a foreign king, King Xerxes, to give deliverance to the Jewish people. And what is the result? Well, there's joyous salvation for all the Jews. You read at the end of the book of Esther, they're celebrating, they're so uh, delighted with the salvation that they have. And of course, all glory goes to God. All glory goes to God for placing Esther there right next to the queen and that the king extended the scepter to her so that he wasn't, she was not destroyed in his presence. And then he heard her request and he granted what she asked. And what is the greatest example in scripture of someone who is trapped And there is no way out. And then God provides at the last minute a deliverance. Well, the greatest example is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. If Christ had followed Satan and lived a sinful life, what would have happened? Well, he would have been punished by God. If he had given in to the temptations that Satan gives him just before his ministry, he would have been punished by God. But if Christ lives as a righteous child of God, what would happen? Well, God's enemies would kill him. God's enemies would kill the Lord Jesus. And what happened? Well, God's enemies did kill Jesus. They did kill him. They crucified him. But at the last minute, God provided a way out. You say, he didn't provide a way out. Didn't you say he died? He was crucified? He was killed? That's not providing a way out. Well, God did provide a way out. He raised Jesus Christ from the grave. Very, very last-minute deliverance. He raised Christ from the grave. And what is the result? Joyous salvation for Christ and all glory to God for the deliverance that only he can bring. He's the only one that can raise the dead. And it's the same with us today. All again and again in the pages of Scripture that people are trapped and then God delivers And God gets the glory and the people rejoice. And it's the same for us today. It doesn't matter which way we go, we will suffer. We're often like a trapped bird. If we live a sinful life, what will happen? Well, God will punish us. If we live righteously, what will happen? Well, like Christ, we often suffer from the hands of unbelievers, from Satan. And so we're in a real dilemma. Why? Well, we can't live as an effective double agent in both camps. We're forced to show our colours at times. And we're like that trapped bird. But what does God promise? God promises to provide a way out of all temptation, of all traps that we're in. And that's what we read before in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God always provides a way out from whatever trap we are in. And then what happens? Well, we have joyous salvation and give glory to God that we could not escape whatever we're in. But God has provided deliverance for us. But you say, is that really true? Is the promise of 1 Corinthians really true? That he will also provide a way out so that we can stand up under any temptation? You say, I've experienced God providing ways out of times where I felt trapped. 
But not always. Not always. And you may be in a situation now where you've done what is right and then you've suffered and God has not provided a way out. You feel oppressed and weighed down and God is not providing a way out. And so it seems like this promise that is given in 1 Corinthians 10 is not true. But it is true. Why? Because God has provided a way out, an ultimate way out, an ultimate salvation out of all temptation, all traps, all snares. And what is that? Well, it's the same last-minute salvation that God provided for the Lord Jesus Christ. And what was that? Resurrection to eternal life. Really, really last-minute salvation. How? Well, at the cross, Christ paid for the sins of those who trust in Christ so that we will be set free one day from all traps, all snares, all temptations, all struggles. We will be set free with the resurrection. What does the resurrection hope then do? Well, it enables us to live a joyous life no matter whatever trap we're in. Why? Because one day, we who feel like trapped birds, who feel like double agents who are being pushed to the utmost limit, we know that one day we will be released, completely, completely released. It may take time, but one day we will be released completely from whatever trap we experience. What happens if we compare any trial that you're going through, any type of suffering you're going through, any temptation you're struggling with, any sinful desire that you struggle with, what happens to that if you compare it with eternity in heaven? What happens? The Spirit's joyous peace comes into your heart and you're able to bear that snare, that trap that you're in. You're able to bear it because you know that one day you will be released. You will be raised to eternal life in heaven. If we're Christians merely so that God will give us pain-free lives in this world, then we are to be pitied. That's what the Apostle Paul says. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If you think that being a Christian means that God will always provide a way out of whatever suffering you're experiencing, whatever temptation you're struggling with, whatever pain you're feeling, that his role as your God is to provide you immediate release from that, then you're to be pitied. The Apostle Paul says. Why? Because we have a hope of deliverance from the grave. Not from all struggles in this world, in this world. Not deliverance in this world, but deliverance from the grave. We have that resurrection hope. And so the resurrection should affect us, not just when we become a Christian, but it should affect us every day, not just at our conversion, but every day in every problem. How? Well, our resurrection hope gives us joy and helps us to then live righteously by the power of the Holy Spirit, no matter the cost. And that's what the Apostle Paul teaches for us in, what, in Titus chapter 2. Turn with me now to Titus chapter 2, page 1182, if you have a church Bible, page 1182. Titus chapter 2, and I'll read from verse 11. And we'll see how the resurrection hope that we have, the salvation that we have from the grave, helps us to live righteously 
verse 11 of Titus chapter 2, page 1182. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. And is he talking about the blessed hope that you'll be delivered in this world immediately from whatever problem you're in? No. What is the blessed hope? The glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. What is the Apostle Paul clinging on to? The resurrection hope that he has when the Lord Jesus returns and raises all his people to live with him in eternal bliss in heaven itself. And that is what he clings to in any trial that he is going through, that he will be delivered one day. And so therefore he is able to live a pure and blameless life, an upright and godly life in this present age. He is able to live righteously, even though he may feel like a trapped bird or a double agent at times. He is able to live righteously because, and a joyous and peaceful life because he knows of the deliverance that he will have. So do you feel like David? Do you feel like a trapped bird? Do you feel like a double agent and there is no way out? Why do you feel that way? Well, if you sin against God, that's not an option because God is wrathful towards those who rebel against him. And if you live a righteous life, well, then you'll be persecuted. This world hates those who follow Christ. If they hated our leader, our king, of course they hate his citizens. And so what should you do? Well, if you're feeling trapped, beg God for an immediate way out of whatever suffering you're in. Yes, you can do that. And he often does. We saw it with David. He delivered him. We saw it with the Israelites at the Red Sea. He delivered them. We saw it with Esther. Yes, he does provide ways out in this world. But what should you really do? You should trust in Christ for the ultimate deliverance, the resurrection. Life from the grave. It is God's way out of all the sorrows of this world. It is the way out of all the sorrows of this world. If you feel trapped without any peace or joy in your heart, is it because you don't actually have the resurrection hope? You don't hope that you will be raised from the grave one day. If there is any possibility that is you, put your trust in Christ now for the forgiveness of sins and have the hope of eternal life. Know that Jesus will tear the bars away from whatever trap you feel you're in, whatever snare has come down upon you. Know that he will tear them away and you will be released from this world with all its trials and struggles. Know that no matter what trap you're in, if you have life after death, you can then have joy and peace in this world continuously. I'm not saying that you won't have any struggles in this world, but you will have a joy that is there amongst it. Trust in Christ and then live righteously. Live righteously no matter what the, age, uh, what the enemy does. What's that look like? Well, if the enemy attacks you for righteousness, you know that you can continue in the righteousness because God will redeem your life one day from the grave. And even if you sin, you know that God will redeem your life from the grave one day too because you're forgiven of all your unrighteousness 
in Christ Jesus. And so even though you may feel like a double agent at times, you find yourself sinning and you feel like you're against God, and when you feel like you're serving God faithfully and you still experience pain, you can have a joy and a peace because you know that one day God will deliver you from all the traps that you're in. Now, maybe you're here this morning, you don't think of life as a trap, a snare. You don't identify with David and the dilemma that he experienced so many years ago. And that is a common problem. Too often, people become accustomed to the cage of this world. We think, like a bird, that this is all there is, and we, and we like it. We think that this is it. Is that you this morning? Realise that we are all like trapped birds and will one day be punished when Christ returns, unless Christ saves you, unless Christ saves you by his death at the cross. Won't you come to Christ now and experience the joyful hope of eternal life, not to mention the eternal joy? Don't live in this cage like it is all that there is and think that you can enjoy this life apart from Christ. Come to Christ and rejoice in the Freedom that we will have one day from outside the cage. A glorious joy that we will experience in heaven. Yes, this world will still have its traps for you and pains, but there will be a joy like no other, filtered through it all, as one day you will be raised to, to life, eternal with Christ Jesus. And if you're a child, do it now. Get the resurrection joy today in your life so that whatever trials come your way, whatever traps or snares you feel you're in, you can know that one day you will escape them all because Christ will raise you from the dead. And for all of us who believe, for all of us who believe and trusting in Christ, let us give God the glory for the salvation that he alone has wrought, the salvation that he has wrought in Christ Jesus. The hope that we have of eternal life is all of him. And so he deserves all the glory. We will not raise ourselves from the grave one day, just as David did not get to go back to his town by his own strength. It will not be by our strength that we will be raised one day. And so therefore God gets the glory. And that's what David pictures so well in Psalm 124, that psalm that we opened the service with. Psalm 124, turn with me there again now, page 613. And see how he gives God glory for the deliverance that he has known. Of course, we don't know when necessarily these psalms were written and so at what point in David's life. But he could have been referring to his deliverance uh, from the Philistines and marching out to war. Psalm 124, look at how David gives God the glory for the release that he's experienced. A song of our sense of David, if the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side, when men attacked us, when their anger flared against us, they would have swallowed us alive. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord, who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And that is us too. We were in the fowler's snare. We were in that trap, but we have escaped. We have escaped. Why? 
because God has broken the snare and he is our help and we will be raised from the dead. And so we should give God praise as David did in that psalm. And we should do it in song as well, singing Newton's hymn, which we'll sing in a moment, Amazing Grace. Open your bulletins with me and look at verse 4. You want to know how to glorify God? Well, then these are words that you can sing to God for his grace that has been extended to us in Christ Jesus. Look with me at verse 4 where Newton says, Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. What's John Newton saying there? Well, God has brought him through many traps in life. And God will bring him home safely to heaven. That's often, I used to think this as well with the first line there in verse 4, through many dangers, toils and snares. You think, our toil just means hard work. And that's the way that we often use it today. It's actually a very old word, English word, and it can be used for a snare. And that's probably what John Newton was referring to there. So toils and snares is actually the same thing. We've come through many traps and snares, is what he's saying. But God has delivered me from them. And you'll see that in your life. There are many toils and snares that you will go through and he will deliver you, just like he delivered David. But the one that you're really hanging out for is the total deliverance from all snares, from even your own sinful heart, your own sinful flesh. You'll be delivered one day because grace will lead you home. And so all glory goes to him. It's all of his grace that you are delivered from any snare. All salvation is of God, not of man. So God gets what? He gets all the glory. He gets the glory for David escaping the war. The parting of the Red Sea, that was all of God as well. No Israelite parted the Red Sea. Mercy from King Xerxes was all of God. And our resurrection is all of God as well. So let's give God the glory for great things he hath done. Let's come to him in prayer now. Let's praise him. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the God of salvation. We confess, O God, that because of our sin, we cannot achieve our salvation from this world. But we thank you for delivering us from many snares immediately in this world. So many times we've prayed to you for help and you have delivered us. But thank you, O God, that we who believe will be delivered from all snares by our resurrection from the dead one day that all the struggles and troubles and suffering and pain of this world will be left behind as you raise us to eternal life with Christ. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to trust in Christ and rejoice every day in the resurrection hope that we have, no matter how trapped we may feel. Oh, Lord, we pray that we would keep our eyes set on things above, set upon the glory that is to come, And so whatever we're struggling through would pale and a joyous peace would fill our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, if there is anyone here who is listening to me now who does not have eternal life, who has no resurrection hope, oh Lord, we ask that you would save them now, deliver them, break the snare that they are in, and may you do it for your glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.